0: I woke up this morning singing, which is always dangerous, man. Do do you ever wake up and you just got a song and you start singing it in the shower or whatever? Anybody like that? Raise your hand if you, okay. All right. How many of you were singing this morning? Raise your, all right, three of us. All right. That's great, man. Yeah, I woke up singing. I was just, you know, just had a song in my heart and it was was an old song. I learned it when I was a kid. Uh, We didn't have kids church back then, but in Sunday school we would would learn songs and uh, this was one of my all-time favorites. You ready for it? Yes. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was singing all morning. Then I had to come across verse number two, which absolutely was my favorite verse growing <laughs> up. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ow. Sit on attack. Ow. Sit on attack, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack to stay. Woo. Woo. Man, I just... You know why I was singing that? I've got joy in my heart. I mean, joy. What a great thing to have in your life. But let me tell you, the only way you can get this joy... Is through Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me, I'm going to preach on joy this morning, outrageous joy. But let me begin by saying this. Happiness and joy are two different things. And, and I think we get the two confused. Happiness, clinically defined, is an emotion. I call it a feeling. Let me tell you, feelings come and go. Huh? But joy, on the other hand, is an attitude. It, it's something that happens in your heart. So emotions, like feelings, come and go. But joy is an attitude and it comes and grows. That's that's all I got right there. That's a, but that's pretty good, isn't it? So what I'm talking about today is something that God gives us in Jesus Christ and it develops and it grows. Some of you have been believers a long time. That, that joy should have been building in your life. And, and by this time, it should find expression on your face. Yeah. It's kind of what I'm looking for, but it ain't there, man. On a sermon on joy, Vance Havner said, the church suffers today from a saddening lack of old-fashioned, simple-hearted, overflowing Christian Joy. Now, we have plenty of knowledge, he said, plenty of enthusiasm, even denominational zeal, but Christians and churches that started out in revival fires are now living in ashes and smoke. And so it is. So we need joy. We need the joy of the Lord. So turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Apparently some of y'all didn't have enough coffee this morning. So are you with me? All right, good. I'm glad you're out there. First Peter chapter one. I've been living in in First Peter the last couple of weeks, and today I'm going to jump in to the middle of a paragraph, beginning in verse six. We're going to read six through nine, First Peter chapter one. Here's what he said: "And all this, and you're wondering, in all this, what? We'll talk about that in a moment. But in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief." ...and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith... ...of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire... ...may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this word into our hearts. I pray that this room would be filled with your Holy Spirit and that you would do something amazing in our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter is talking about this outrageous joy. Before I get into my sermon, let me me just give you four characteristics of this outrageous joy Peter is describing. Two of these characteristics are found in verse 6. The other two are found in verse number 8. He says in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. And the two words I want you to see are greatly rejoice because this joy is extreme joy that God gives to us it's really joy on steroids it's high octane joy it is an inner joy that God gives us that expresses itself outwardly I mean you can't hold it in it's outrageous well I wish some of us would get it right now yeah it, it kind of reminds me of if what happened back in February of 2006 with a, with a high school senior, young man who was autistic. His name was Jason. And instead of telling you his story, let's just watch it on video. Th- this video is inspiring. It will bring tears to your eyes and joy to your heart. Watch this.
1: Greece Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new most unlikely hero, <clears throat> a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Let's keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. and go!
0: Get him motivated, uh, hand out water, and just be enthusiastic.
1: Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games.
0: You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they lose a game because he, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's
1: have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Arcadia. Let's go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make I it? I I just air it. <laughs> I'm like,
0: just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket.
1: His second shot missed, too. But the third was a charm, a three-point no-doubter and Jason wasn't done yet, not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have believed it, you know. You caught fire. It just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers, one right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer, Created total mayhem because he is autistic. Jason says he's used to feeling different, but never this different, never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, Isn't CBS that
0: great News. Man, that, uh, man, it, that, that kind of lights your fire, fires you up a little bit. And notice the image right at the end. When everyone, both fans and opponents, rushed the court and held him up on their shoulders. That was some extreme joy. But let me tell you something. The joy that Jesus gives us is much more extreme than that. Number two, it is continual joy. In fact, the verb that Peter uses here is in the present tense. Peter is talking about something that isn't fleeting like happiness. What we say happiness is, it's an emotion, it's a feeling, it comes and it goes. You can be happy one moment and sad the next. You can be laughing one second and crying the next, right? Because it's fleeting. But joy is different. It's an attitude. It is continual. In fact, we're going to find out later in this passage that this joy is so deep in our heart that it is undisturbed by even adversity that comes into our life. So here's this joy. It's extreme. It's continual. Then he says this in verse number 8. You believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. So the third characteristic about joy is it's inexpressible. The word means literally higher than speech. It's inexpressible. In other words, we don't have adequate words to describe the joy that God can give us. I tell you, church, if you've ever experienced this kind of joy, you know what Peter is talking about. It is indescribable. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've never tasted this joy, I can't describe it to you. I I, I can beat my head against the pulpit and do my best, but you just won't get it until you get it. Number four, it's glorious. He says it is full of glory. Now, what does that mean? Well, it ultimately erupts in praise and glory to God because we get so full of it. I mean, our, our lives just erupt. We can't contain the joy that's inside of us. It, it's just not a feeling. It's something that boils up inside of us. True, it is inexpressible. We don't have adequate words, but that doesn't keep us from praising God in worship. Huh? Because we can't contain ourselves. We can't control it. It's uncontrollable. Because it is outrageous, extreme joy. And so... When I look at these four characteristics, I I just had to stop and ask myself a couple of questions. Number one is, is this kind of outrageous joy evident in my life? I I had to wrestle with that all week. I mean, is this kind of joy expressed in Will Harmon's life 24 hours a day, seven days a week? I had to wrestle with that question all week, and so I'm tired of wrestling with it. I'm giving it to you now. You have to answer that question for yourself. Do you have this kind of joy in your life? Maybe a deeper question than that is, well, where in the world does it come from? I mean, I know I want it, I need it, so how in the world do I get it? And as I studied this passage, I discovered that it is the unique possession of every born-again child of God. When you get saved, God gives you this joy. He deposits this joy in your heart. And remember, it is an attitude, and an attitude comes and grows in your life. This joy is rooted in our faith and in our confidence in God. And I want to spend the rest of the time this morning just sharing with you from this passage how it works, how it fleshes itself out. So point number one is this. This joy overflows Through a knowledgeable faith. I've got this joy in my life because I know and I believe. I know what the Word of God says and I believe. In verse 6, he asks, In this you greatly rejoice. He says, in this. What is the in this? Well, it's what he just talked about in the preceding verses, 3 through 5. It's in this knowledgeable fact through faith that we believe. What did he say in verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just got to stop right there and love on this a little bit because it's all about praising God. Even doctrine, even theology can turn into praise. Head knowledge can can turn into heart knowledge when we believe. And so he begins in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, in God's great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away, and it is kept in heaven for you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It is in this, in this fact, In this faith fact that I can have this joy, it's in believing. In believing what? Well, in believing that God in his mercy has provided new birth for me. In believing that God in his mercy has provided a living hope for a lost world. It is in believing that God rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is in believing that we have an eternal home in heaven given as our inheritance, and it's kept by God. That's where joy comes from. (laughs) And joy is an attitude, attitudes come and grow. And how do I get this joy? It's in believing. I read the word of God. Jesus died for my sins. He is the one who gives us living hope. He rose from the dead. And I believe that with my heart. I confess Jesus Christ with my mouth. I become a believer. I have heaven as my inheritance. I got joy now. (laughs) And the world can't touch that. Now that's good. That's good. Y'all don't look too excited, but let me Can I say that's good? Woo! We ought to be amen in. That's some good preaching, man. I can dig that preaching. Preach on, preach on. I like that because it's good. It feels good, man. Woo! Got the joy because I believe. You're not going to like point number two. That's where he gets tough. Number two point is joy overflows through a tested faith. Hmm. It's tough. Because it's a common fact that growth hurts. Growth hurts. In the human body, growth hurts. The boys are down here. The little tiny boys right here. Hayden, I'll pick on you. I picked on Zane first service and he wasn't here. But Hayden, stand up, Hayden. Can I embarrass Hayden? Look at this tiny little fella. I'm going to come down here. You don't really know how big Hayden is until I come and stand by him. This guy, he's just a, he's a mountain of a man. He's, he's solid as a rock. Am I embarrassing you? I love you, man. Give me a hug. Come on, Hayden. Give me a hug, buddy. Oh, I love Hayden. You can sit back down. Looking good. Looking good. I, I saw Hayden last night. He was going to prom. He had these red shoes on that were just... I mean, he was styling and profiling in his red shoes and red tie. And I'm thinking, man, I'm digging those shoes. They were good-looking shoes. I'm sad you're not wearing them today. But I think, man, I, I, I wonder if I could borrow those. And I put my foot up to Hayden's foot. and I mean, they're like two foot longer than my foot. And I, mean, I can't wear those shoes. I'd look like Bozo the Clown if I swear. They They look good on you, man. Here's my point. I can remember a few years ago when when Hayden, Hayden's always been pretty big, but I mean he was really growing really fast. It, Wes, you remember this? And and he was having all kinds of pain every day. He was dealing with pain. Come on, it's just growing pain. His body was growing so fast that physically he was it was hurting him. You know why? Because growth hurts. Right, yeah. right. Growth hurts. I mean, Jason, and I was talking about this morning in my sermon. Brent, you you work out, man. We work out. We lift weights. You know, I wish I looked like you two guys, but I just can't. I can't get there. But I work out every day, five days a week. I'm lifting weights, and you know what? I constantly hurt. Because lifting weights hurts. You're tearing muscle apart, and it's regrowing, and it makes your body hurt. Every day I hurt. And so after a while, I said, you know what? I'm going to quit doing this because it's hurting so bad. But I found out I hurt anyway. <laughs> so, you know, you might as well try to do something. But growth hurts. And you know what? It is the same way spiritually. If you're going to grow and mature as a Christian, there's going to be pain involved. And the Bible wants you to know that up front. And Peter is describing it right here. We're going to look at it in verses 6 and 7. Let me give you a little history before I read these verses. The, The ominous clouds of persecution were gathering for these young churches. In fact, many scholars believe that Peter is writing right before the most intense persecution came to these young baby churches. Historical sources record that not too long after Peter wrote this letter, great persecution erupted in the region where these churches were. In fact, we have a historical document written by the governor of one of the provinces that these churches were in. He was writing a letter to the Roman emperor named Trajan. And in it, the governor stated his official position in dealing with this sect called Christianity and with Christians. He wrote to the the emperor and said, With those who have been brought before me as Christians, I have pursued the following course. First, I have asked them if they were Christians. And if they have confessed, I have asked them a second time and a third time. Threatening them with punishment if they persist. And if they continue to persist, I have commanded them to be led away and to be punished. And most of that punishing was physical. They would be beaten. They would be imprisoned. And eventually many of them were even put to death. So with that in mind, that kind of physical persecution in mind, let's look at verse number 6. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now, they were suffering grief, and they were suffering many trials. But you know what? That's part and parcel with the Christian life. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. I mean, dude, let me tell you, if you're alive on planet Earth, you're going to have trials you're going to have trouble because that's what this world is. And for believers, it's even intensified because Jesus said, listen, if they hated me and persecuted me, how much more are they going to hate you and persecute you? And so as I read this verse, at least four things pop out to me about trials Whether they were physical trials and grief like these believers were facing or the kind of trials and problems you and I deal with, four things that are true. Write these down. Number one, they are seasonal. He said, now for a little while, you're going to suffer these trials. For a little. In other words, we should think of our trials as not permanent, but seasonal. They're not going to last forever. Now, understand a little while is a very relative statement, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, to have to hold your breath for a little while means that you're going to hold your breath maybe for a minute or two minutes, or if you have great lung capacity, maybe three minutes. To wait a little while to get your tax return check back from the government, you may have to wait three or four weeks. To wait a little while for a tree to mature in your front yard, you may be looking at 10 to 15 years. Are you with me? It's relative. And that's the point Peter is making here. He's just been talking about our inheritance, the inheritance of eternal life that God has given to us, that he is holding in heaven for us. And what is that inheritance? It's eternity, man. (laughs) It's eternity. In fact, even the span of our whole life is just a little while, Compared to all eternity. So the point I want to make to you is this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your trial is, no matter what problems you're facing, hang in there, man. Just hang in there. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope in God. Understand that it's seasonal. It's just going to last for for a short time. And there is a reason for that trial. God's working in your life. And how long is it? Just a little while. Number two, the second thing about trials is they're useful. They're very useful. You may have had to suffer. I like the word have there. You may have had to suffer. In other words, he's saying they're useful. These trials are necessary. They only come into our lives if God sees that they're necessary. That means, here's what it means, that there is no meaningless suffering in your life. God is working in your life. We often ask why God would let something like this happen to someone like us. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why. The verse literally says, having been put to grief. So it's God presiding over the trial we're facing. God has brought that trial into our life. God's working in our life. hello are you out there it's useful it's for our benefit now someone has said we want lives of simple predictable ease smooth easy trails as far as the eye can see now that's what we like we like smooth sailing don't we we don't like difficulties in our life right That's what we like. That's what we want. But you know what God does? Sometimes God likes to take us off road. (laughs) And we have to go through some rocky times and rough times, but it's for our good. Third thing about these trials is they're painful. They hurt. He says, you may have had to suffer. The word is suffer grief. These trials are painful, man. Physically and mentally and, and, and sometimes even, even spiritually. But th- that there's no way around it. It's got to be that way. Why is it? Well, It's because we learn through pain. And look at me. Sometimes that's the only way we're going to learn. William Richard, don't stand on that floor furnace. Four years old. William Richard, don't stand on the floor furnace. Anybody in here even know what a floor furnace is? We, we, I don't, it's crazy, but, but back in the day when I was a kid, everybody had a floor furnace in their house. I, I described it as a little kid as, some, as a dragon under our house. <laughs> and there was this, this vent, this metal vent, and, and it would blow, and, and you know, and I would stand on the crazy thing because it, it, it was warm, and, and it really didn't get you at first, but that's why my mom would say, Don't stand on that floor furnace because it's, it's, it's just like sin. It just kind of eases in there, and then all of a sudden we're baking. You know? And, and I'd stand there, and it was like I was on fire, and I'd jump off the thing, ah, I'm on fire! Well, I really wasn't on fire, but you know what? It only took a couple of times for me to learn don't stand on the floor furnace. Did you get that a couple of times? I should have I learned the first time, but you know what, I'm just like you. My sister stood on it, you know, dozens of times. She never, she'd lay on it, put her head on it, and... Painful. Trials are painful. But it's through that pain that we learn and, th- and we grow. You, you know, I, I thought of a paradox here. Here's the paradox. How suffering, grief, and, and all kinds of trials can coexist right alongside of this outrageous joy. I can't explain how that works, but I I know in my heart it works that way. I I can be going through trials and problems, but you know what? I got something deep inside my heart that the world can't touch and the devil can't take away, and that is the joy of the Lord. And you know what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then number four, these trials are colorful. He calls them various trials. The Greek word there translates a word multicolored. They're multicolored trials. So in God's grand purpose, he sees it necessary to use all kinds of trials in our lives. There's not just one kind of trial in view here. God uses many trials. In fact, God is like an artist who paints in many colors. Sometimes the colors are dark. Sometimes they're light. Sometimes they're bright. But when he finishes the canvas of your light... Life, it is going to be gloriously beautiful. Because he's taking the good times and the bad times and putting them all together for us to make us the people he's called us to be. It, it, interesting thing, this word various. Later on, Peter uses the same word to describe the grace of God. In first Peter chapter four, verse ten, he says, God's grace in its various forms. So marry these two concepts together, church. Our multicolored trials are accompanied by God's multicolored grace. So for every trial I have in my life, for every problem, every burden, every difficulty, there is a grace that God can impart to me that covers that trial. Wow! Here's one of the marks of genuine Christianity. When your faith is tested, your joy... Overflows. When your faith is tested, what happens? That joy erupts and begins to overflow. Look at verse number 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I wrote in my notes, that's a dynamite verse right there. That is an awesome verse. It it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but but that verse is describing our faith and what God is trying to do with our faith that we believed in Jesus Christ through. He compares our faith to this this gold. Peter likens the testing of our faith with the process which gold is refined by. And, And you know how they refine gold? They heat it up, man. They light a fire under it, and they make it boil. (laughs) Are you getting the comparison? And what happens when the gold is heated up? Well, it produces dross, and the impurities rise to the top. And the craftsman comes along, and he skims the impurities off of the top. And I am told, especially back in the ancient days, when they would heat up gold and pull off the dross, if the craftsman looked over the bowl and all he could see was the impurities, then the gold was still impure. But he would scrape it off until what he saw was a reflection of his face. And that meant all the impurity was gone, and it was pure. Dude, do you see the picture? It's what God is doing in our life. Through these fires, through these trials, through persecution, through suffering, God is taking away the impurities in our life so that He can look inside of us and see a reflection of Himself. And that's the only way we're going to get there, man. Gold is precious. I wished I had a lot of it. But you know what? Eventually gold is going to perish. But there's something far more precious and more enduring than gold. Peter says it's your faith. Your faith. So if it's important to purify and prove something that perishes like gold, how much more important is it that something as enduring as your faith be purified and be proven? Trials purify our faith. He says we're refined by fire. So God purposes to refine our faith with fires of trial and adversity. And what is his goal? His goal is that we might more perfectly depend upon him than things or other people to get our joy. That's what he's doing. Also, trials prove our faith. He says faith proved genuine. That phrase, proved genuine, came from the financial world that Peter lived in. It meant a coin that was proved to be genuine opposed to a counterfeit coin. Church, joy comes from going through fires and coming out on the other side knowing that our faith has been purified and knowing that our faith is the real thing and that we're more like God. Because we passed the test. But he's not done in verse 7. Let me read it again. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And, here it is, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can interpret that last phrase, which is may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Some people interpret it, you know what, when Jesus comes back, the whole world is going to give him praise, glory, and honor. And that's that's a fact. There There ain't no denying that. When Jesus comes back and the whole world is judged, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. But that's not really what Peter's talking about there. What he's talking about is your faith. Your faith being proven genuine. Your faith being proved real. What your faith? The faith that you believe Jesus did rise from the dead. The faith that you have that's a living hope. The faith that you believed when you accepted Jesus, that faith is what he's talking about. He's talking about your life and living for God and going through trials and persecutions and difficult times. But then when you go through those, God refines your faith and makes it more precious and more valuable and you have joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. He's talking about your faith. And he's saying when Jesus Christ comes back and everything is done, he's going to know who belongs to him. He's going to know those who are a part of his kingdom. He will know those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He will know those who have the real joy in their life. And for those, get this, for those who are his Remember, remember our buddy Jason at the end of that game? They, they lifted him up on their shoulders and he was the hero. And they were giving him praise, glory, and honor. You remember that? Yeah. That picture right there? This, Peter's saying, that's what's going to happen at the end time when you've endured and you've made it. And it's the end. And Jesus comes back. He's gonna, Jesus is going to hold you up. And Jesus is going to give you praise, glory, and honor. Because you belong to him. Man, I think we can clap about that, man. That's what this joy is all about. I, I can have that kind of joy because I've gone through the fire. And I know that my faith is real. And it will last. Then finally, number three, joy overflows through a personal faith. I'm going to wrap all this up with verse number eight. He says, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And because of that, you are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, some verses are pretty tough to to understand. Sometimes we, we try to make Bible verses harder to understand than they really are. That's not a very difficult verse to understand. So so let me just say it to you as as I would say it. I've never seen Jesus. I've I've seen pictures of what people thought Jesus looked like. They're probably not even close, but I've never seen Jesus. Never seen him, but I love him. I can't see Jesus right now. He's in this room. I believe that. But I can't see him. Yet I believe him. I've never seen him, but I love him. I don't see him now, but I believe him. Why? Because I believe this is the inspired, infallible word of God. I believe it teaches us about Jesus. And you know what? I've read what Jesus has done for me. I know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me. I know Jesus climbed on the cross and died for my sins. And I love him for that. I believe in him. And you know what I've done? I believed in my heart and I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I've been born again. I have a living hope. I believe in Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, as Peter said. And I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. Haven't seen him, but I love him. I don't see him now, but I believe in him. You know what Peter's talking about? He's talking about faith, man. That's what that is. Faith, believing faith. I have a head knowledge because I've read the word of God. But I believe in my heart. Having not seen him, I love him. Not seeing him now, I still believe in him. And because of that, because of that faith, I have in Jesus what's in my heart? Joy, inexpressible and full of glory. An attitude that the world can't touch. And something that just keeps growing and growing and growing. And if you got it, you understand. But if you don't have it, I can beat my head against this pulpit and try to explain it to you. But you're not going to get it until you get it. And more than anything, I want you to get it. Manifest that faith today. Believe in Jesus. Ask for His forgiveness. Invite Him into your heart. And you will have what the world is hungry for. Now, I've, I've preached this all my life and I believe it. I believe that when God created us, He created us with this God-shaped vacuum in our life. A God-shaped void. Why We were created in the image of God. Are you with me? And so God made every human being with this hunger, this need, that only He can satisfy. And and what we try to do is is fill that hole in our heart with the synthetic substitutes that the world gives. And, And we'll cram everything else in our life looking for only what Jesus can give us. And what we come up with is a great big zero. We just get feelings, but feelings come and go. And we're never fully satisfied. Why? Because there's only one thing that can fill the emptiness in our heart. And it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But as I've studied this this past week, I've I've realized that that key, the key ingredient that, that makes us different than people who have no hope is joy. It's God's joy. But the world doesn't have it. Can't touch it. Even though it's longing for it, it, the the only way they can get it is through Jesus. Jesus is the missing piece. He is the joy that you need in your life. So, is this the great desire of your heart? Do you have this joy? And are you living a life of outrageous joy?